Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number five. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are very excited to be back. And, and we can be found on so many more platforms now. We got the news this week that we are now on TuneIn Radio. Yeah. That's very exciting. It's am- What's amazing to me is that when I started podcasting a long time ago, it was like you got onto iTunes and that was it. Right. There was no Stitcher. There was no Google Play. There was no TuneIn. I mean, it amazes me, but it's great. If you're a content creator, it's amazing that you have so many outlets that you can put your, your shows on and, and spread your content out. Absolutely. And speaking of, um, we're also on a site called Podcast Land. This is not something that we registered for. I just kind of stumbled across it today that it's it's like a fan voted thing and right now we're at number six so i don't know who did that and how we ended up there but thank you it's pretty exciting yes thank you uh if if you voted for us we appreciate it if you haven't voted for us feel free to do that i'd like to jump up a little bit shameless plug because now the promotion is on yeah now now it's now it's like the competition has begun and if you want to rate us and review us on itunes and stitcher and you know it you know funny thing is um, the more that you do that, the more exposure that the show gets. Too. Right. right. I mean, obviously, we want to expand the audience, but it's crazy how how different it is now than the way that it used to be. Well, to the victor goes the spoils. Yes. But I will say something that is consistent are the way that these Muppet movies are sort of portrayed. You know, like, it's just funny that, you know, we're going to talk about this Jason Siegel Big Jason Siegel fans, by the way. Yeah. We're going to talk about this movie, but for anybody that's seen it, they know that it, it feels like a movie from the 70s. But the, oddly enough, whether it was a movie from the 90s or the 70s or the 80s, they all had that same feel, these Muppet films. Yeah, I would say the Muppets are probably the most consistent intellectual property that Disney has, even not just the movies, but tying it right into Muppets 3D in the parks. It's, it's just, you know what you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we we were watching him on How I Met Your Mother, but actually, I think my first exposure to Jason Siegel was when he did Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That was everybody's first exposure to Jason Siegel. Well, <laughs> figuratively and literally. Um, you set that one up. I had to hit yeah, it. Yeah, I did. But I mean, if you've seen any of the movies that he's written, obviously you know that he's not only very funny and very talented but he's very passionate about his craft and i think that 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 passion lent itself so well to doing a muppet movie because you have to do a muppet movie a certain way and i feel like it takes a certain kind of person to do it and i don't know that i could have thought of anybody better than him agreed jason siegel to me he strikes me as just a big kid and I feel like he's had one of those rare careers where everything that he's been passionate about, passionate about as a child, I feel like he's gotten to do. I'm He's got a great, great knack for comedy, but this just gave me a whole new respect for him. Absolutely. And I was so excited to find out that not only were the Muppets getting another movie and a bit of a revival because they had kind of been... 
at a lull for a while, but I was ecstatic to find out that he was behind it. Yeah. So you want to lead it off here? We'll get going. Sure. Uh, we're just going to dive right in um, because we're just kind of going to go in chronological order of this movie instead of laying out the plot. I think, um, you know, this movie, the way that it lays out, it's so cause and effect based. Uh, we're, we're just going to kind of walk through it in order. Oh, you mean it won't be me? going over a plot line for nine straight minutes the way that I had to for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Was it nine? I went on for almost nine minutes. That's how convoluted that movie was. Not in a bad way. It had to be. It was a, It was kind of a, a mystery flick, but nine minutes of, of explaining that convoluted plot line. Yeah, I knew you were going on, but I didn't time minutes. <laughs> oh, I did. All right, so... in. Um, we open with Jason Siegel, who plays Gary, and his brother Walt. Um, perfect name, perfect tribute to, of course, Walt Disney. That was done a thousand percent intentional. Um, and it opens on the perfect song. I, I can't think of a more perfect song to open this movie with, Julio Down by the Schoolyard. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, it's it's just kind of that. You know, happy and skippy and upbeat, upbeat and and again, lends itself to that throwback feel of these films. So right out of the gate, you know exactly what you're walking into. There was no mystery behind this one. Right. It lends to the time period, and I think it also lends to that idyllic small town that they're trying to create. Yes. And and by the way, they're from small town USA. <laughs> Very small town USA. Um so they open with a montage to me and Julio down by the schoolyard of Walter and Gary growing up and they were in the Boy Scouts and just kind of hanging out and uh, how they sort of stumbled across the Muppets and, you know, they were both really, really into it. And that was one of the things that they loved to do was always go home and watch the Muppets. And um, it sort of revealed... Um, for Walter's character that this was sort of an escape for him because he's shorter. He's, you know, I mean, he is a Muppet. Um, but you can tell that in the Muppets, he kind of found where he belonged and right. he really identified with it as opposed to just, you know, like our generation and like Jason Siegel, just kind of enjoying them for what they were. Yeah. It's never explained why, their brothers or how they're brothers because you've got Jason Siegel who's a very tall gentleman and a human being and Gary being a Muppet it's never explained but I don't take issue with that per se I do actually oh do you it's my own honestly only issue with this movie because otherwise you know spoiler alert I do love the Muppets and uh I love everything about the Muppets I mean I was watching Muppet Babies and all the movies when I was a kid. Um, Which is getting a revival on the Disney Channel. Yes, it is. Um, but yeah, that is the one thing that I sort of take issue with. Um, is that I feel like this movie would have worked a little bit better if Gary and Walter were friends instead of brothers. And... Maybe we can kind of circle back to this a little bit later after we've gotten through some more of the plot points because I don't want to get too far ahead. Um, but I do feel like the relationship between them just would have worked better as a friendship instead of a brotherhood. I mean, 
I don't. It just something about it. I mean, it, yeah, it didn't make any sort of sense, but it just didn't really bother me because I guess when you're watching a movie and 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 it's a world where human beings are going to be interacting with Muppets, I suspend reality. You know, it's the same way I suspend reality when I watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, sure. But the films still have a realistic feel, as far fetched as they are. Right. No, I'm not going for perfect realism here, but I just feel like story-wise, it may have worked a little bit better. But I feel like once we get to the end of the movie and where these characters end up, I'll have a better explanation. Um, so, you know, they're kind of hanging out. They're watching the Muppets and um, Walt is doing a... It's a narrated voiceover of their childhood growing up. And normally, I don't love when movies do that and they rely on a narrator. I mean, we reviewed Jungle Book and we said how great Bagheera worked as the narrator. But to me, in a movie like this, I feel like it's better to just, you know, let it happen in the exposition and I'd rather see it than hear about it. But the way that they cut the narration with the clips of the show, it just worked really, really nicely to show the history of the Muppets and pay homage to the history of the Muppets and detail how they've become fans of them over the years and what it's meant to their childhood. So I thought that was, the whole opening is just perfect. So after the opening song, it brings us to present day and Gary and Walter wake up in their childhood bedroom. And Walter is asking Gary about the trip that he is about to take with his girlfriend of 10 years, Mary, to Los Angeles. Um, and Gary surprises Walter by saying that he's going to bring Walter along and they're going to tour the Muppet Studios. And at this point now, you see how excited Gary is. And what I like is uh, his entire wall of his room is covered with that Muppet memorabilia. Right. He's got the stickers on the headboard. Like, it is very childish, but... I think that we all have things from our childhood that we grew up with that we still have like on display on some shelf. Absolutely. So I I feel like it was just a nice touch and not that you didn't already know that Gary was such a huge fan of the Muppets, but I just like that you kind of saw that passage of time where you had some newer memorabilia and much older memorabilia. It showed that this was a real lifelong uh, worship of these characters. Right. And that's something that you kind of have to keep in mind because in the big, the very, very beginning, it's set back during their childhood, which I'd have to assume is about the 80s. And now it brings us to present day. So all this memorabilia, it kind of feels like it's their present day, but it is no longer the 80s. And that's where Walter is kind of outcast and out of place because he's still obsessed over the Muppets who aren't very relevant, unfortunately, during this time. That's correct. Um, so Gary and Walter get ready uh, to go meet Mary for their trip, and we start with our first musical number, Life's a Happy Song. There is no more perfect song that could have started this movie because it not only sets the table for how this town is, you know, because it is so on the nose with how hokey and corny and small town it is. And it, it paints a very nice picture. 
but it also sets up exactly who they are as characters because we're only three or four minutes into the movie at this point and it goes deeper than just a narrative it has the Muppet innocence and it has the Muppet tongue-in-cheek throughout and it just fits in like I feel like they could have taken that movie and dropped it into any Muppet film and it would have worked exactly during this song, they leave the house and they go out into the town, which you'll recognize as the set of Stars Hollow for all the Gilmore Girls fans. And they're walking past bakers and most notably the guy with the fish who says life's a fillet of fish. It's one of my favorite lines in the movie. It's so stupid, but it works. It's hilarious. Um, and uh, during this what strikes me most, aside from the, the tongue-in-cheek lyrics, is um, how well Jason Siegel is at playing to both the Muppets and the camera. Well, he himself is like a real-life Muppet. Oh, absolutely. He's <laughs> just kind of like bouncing up and down. Like, for, for a, such a big guy, he's surprisingly light on his feet. Like, all the dancing he was pretty good at. Um, but he just does such a good job of, like, looking at Walter, looking at the camera. It's just so engaging um, and so goofy, but it, it just all works great. Yeah, I love, I just love how over the top that town is as a whole. Right. Um, so then they get to the school where Mary works. Mary is played by Amy Adams, who is absolutely perfect casting and uh when jason siegel bursts into the classroom where she's teaching she is teaching her class how to fix a car how to change a 12 volt starter on a car exactly and there is an entire car you know it's not just an engine there is an entire car in a classroom this is not shop class it is a classroom with a blackboard and desks and as jarring as that is it oddly just works yeah um, so Gary then tells Mary that Walter's waiting for them and they're going to get going and everything. And he walks back out and Mary sings her first song and expresses that she's not happy that Walter is always the third wheel in their relationship. There's also a throwaway line that I think a lot of people miss. The kid Carlos, who was working on the vehicle. Yes. As he's walking out and, and he's saying goodbye to Jason Siegel, and Jason Siegel's saying goodbye to all the kids, you hear him say, enjoy your anniversary dinner. Yes, it's it's barely audible, but you do catch it. Yeah, you probably won't catch it the first time you watch the movie, but upon a second and third viewing, it certainly does stand out. And that is the purpose for their trip to Los Angeles is they're going on vacation, they're going to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. So aside from uh, Walter tagging along now, we learn that this is not the first time that this has happened and he's kind of been the third wheel throughout their relationship. Um, so she sings her song and this is one of my favorite parts in the opening because it's that first bit of real Muppety humor. Yes. Is that she's at the window pane and it appears that it's raining and she's singing like this sad, you know, they, they, I think they try to put her in the context of a Disney princess and then you know, you're on the inside of the classroom and it looks like it's raining and then they flip to the outside of the building and you see a gardener with a hose that just happens to be spraying the window down. It's just such a Muppet thing to do. Oh, this movie is completely self-aware and self-deprecating, much like the Muppets themselves. So... Or deprivating, I should say. Yes. Um, um, there's, there's also another line in this song that I like. 
and it touches on what you were talking about just now. She doesn't call Walt Gary's yes. brother. She says Gary's always off with his friend. Right. So even she, she even like questions what the real relationship there is. Exactly. And that's where I kind of, you know, for me, that was almost like a little bit of affirmation as to why I'm feeling that this brother thing doesn't necessarily work. I mean, it, she says friend and it rhymes in the song. And I think the lyric was kind of forced in that regard, but you're right. Regardless, she does still hit on this because the relationship between them does seem more, I, I feel like it would work better as a friendship. Somebody is clearly out of place here. And that person is Walter. Exactly. So they circle back and finish up the song and uh, you see your first two brilliant cameos in the finale of Life's a Happy Song. You have uh, Shelley Duvall, who you know from The Shining and as Olive Oil from Popeye. And my heart like leaped up into my throat when you see Mickey Rooney sitting on a bench. I I nearly I don't want to I almost did cry and we're going to talk more about that because when I saw this movies in theater like I walked out and you would have think that somebody died I was crying so much I just I loved it um admittedly I wasn't much better than you (laughs) but I was definitely better than you right no but Mickey Rooney didn't actually draw tears no so they get on the bus and they leave to go to Los Angeles and it's just so funny because the whole town has basically come out to sing them off and they go, okay, they're gone. And yes. they just collapse. <laughs> yes. Like this whole spectacle was just too much for all of them to handle. Like they as a couple are just exhausting. I thought that was so funny because I I wasn't sure if it was just like a tongue in cheek thing to this setting that they've created where the whole town is just you know, active and they come together as a community for things like this, or if it was just part of this idea that Walt is so ingrained in this Muppet world that he's created for himself that they're like keeping up with him. And it's almost like they're humoring them in it's a way. It's almost like the Truman Show. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like the Truman Show in that way. Um, As the bus pulls out of the town too, just to like, really drive home how small this town is this the population sign drops down by three people down to 99 down to 99 people but i i think that that's such a great touch it's just a funny little uh you know again and to reinforce how small this town actually is and it reinforces the innocence of the muppets you know that's that's kind of that was my big takeaway is that this obviously is meant to take place it's present day, but sort of like hearkening back to a simpler time. Right. Because the Muppets themselves are from a simpler time where their humor, I mean, they did some things that were slapstick, but their humor is very intelligent and yes. very well thought. Yes. You know, and I feel like a lot of audiences now, especially their target audience, I, I think a lot of that would be lost on them now. Exactly. I think this world for a kid is far too literal. Yeah. And I think that they did such a wonderful job painting the picture of just that 
you know, literally small town USA and, and it being innocent and you played Little League and you went to the carnival and rented a video, that's that was the world that they created because that's the world where the Muppets were born. Right. And that is also reinforced because now Mary, Gary and Walt reach Los Angeles. They see some of the sites. But the first thing that they do really is go to the Muppet studio and it's completely dilapidated. Yeah. And it's in a terrible neighborhood and you just hear like police sirens and it's it's just totally disgusting. No, and it was sad to see, like, because, you know, you've got this great opening number and it's so high energy and everything. And then they just completely flip that on its head with this destroyed Muppet studio. And it it was just even sad to watch because I think the whole thing with this movie, I mean, we know that Jason Siegel had to fight really, really hard to get it greenlit, but it does kind of reinforce how out of touch we are with the Muppets and how they, at the time, they weren't really relevant anymore. It was a very strong visual. Yeah. And I, like really parallel to reality. Yes. Um, so you have uh, the tour guide come out to greet them, who is played by Alan Arkin. Yep. And um, he takes them around to Kermit's office, doesn't now, even so, bring them in. <laughs> I have to say, he's so desperate to get these tours that now the tour went up from like 50 cents to $1.50, but there are these tourists there who are not from the United States that go, is this Universal Studios? And he goes, yes, it is. Like, it was, I was really, I, I remember I was dying laughing when I heard that the first time. I was kind of surprised that they got away with doing that sort of an accent of a foreign tourist. That's how those that's how people from that culture sound though. It's not it's not a caricature. No, it's it's true. It's not wrong. You know, if uh, I went into Brooklyn right now, well, uh, I'd find at least uh, seven or eight guys sound like this. It's true. You know, like it, it's acting. Yeah. You're acting. No, it's You're trying true. to be accurate. Go to Pearl Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's really all I have to say about that. Uh so there's really nothing even open on the tour. They can't even uh, give it any historical value. And uh, they they point out Kermit's office, but they don't actually go in, except for Walter, who sneaks away from the tour and stumbles across an important plot point, which is pointed out by uh, Waldorf and... Um, Statler. Statler. Um, they come in with the movie's villain, Tex Richmond, the oil driller, who wants to turn Muppet Studios into, well, he says a museum, but really he wants to drill on the site, which is what Walt learns when he's hiding out. Yeah, Chris Cooper is a great sport, the way Amy Adams is a great sport, because they're both phenomenal actors and, and an actress, but they don't take themselves too seriously. You like can't. you, but you would think that Chris Cooper, maybe more so than Amy Adams, would not. Like, He's on more of a high horse. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, you'd yeah. feel like he he would just he wouldn't, for lack of a better term, dumb himself down to do a movie like this. But I think that he appreciates what the Muppets mean to the world. Right. And and I think that has a lot to do with why Jason Siegel was able to get the people that he got 
in this film, whether they had big roles or whether they had two lines, but he was really, really good in this. Yeah. And, and Tex Richmond. So it's a Texas oil baron who's rich. Again, so on the nose and tongue in cheek. Perfect Muppet chic. Exactly. And he is with Desi the bear and uh, Uncle Deadly, who I I love to begin with. But yeah. I loved that they they used him as a villain. It was it was just so funny. Um, so upon hearing this, Walt screams for probably about 30 seconds of screen time. They don't break it. They don't cut away. He just screams. Um, and he finally reveals to Mary and Gary what happened. And they decide that they're going to straight to the source and they're going to go tell Kermit what's happening. So they find him using a map to the stars home and they stumble across his home and Gary tries to throw Walt over a fence, which Mary points out is an electric fence. So Walt gets electrocuted, and as they are reviving him, you see the silhouette of Kermit walking up to his house. And as this happens, again, the perfect Muppet humor, you hear, you know, that kind of hallelujah music. Yeah, the choir. But it is literally a choir bus driving through the neighborhood at that time. Yeah, it's just It's hysterical. Just well-timed. So after Walt fangirls for quite a while over Kermit, he tells him what's going on and that they're going to need to raise $10 million to save the Muppet Studio and buy it back from Tex Richmond. And it's here that Kermit takes a beat and thinks about how they're going to do that. And he realizes the only way to raise that kind of money is to put on a show. So... He walks out of the room and away from everybody and he sings pictures in my head and he's looking on the wall at all these murals that he has of other Muppets like the Swedish Chef and Gonzo and Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem and it is at this point that I am completely bawling for the first time during this movie. But you're not the only one because what what makes this so powerful, I can't remember, admittedly, if it's when we're in Kermit's house or when they're in Kermit's office and they're panning the room and you see the relics, again, showing the passage of time and the passage of relevance, but on all the photos on the wall is a is a picture of Kermit with Jim Henson. I believe that's in his office too because they also have like, some of his banjos and everything on the wall. They really did a great job with that scene. That is something that I forgot to mention before is that's where you can really tell what a fan Jason Siegel is. Right, and it was all the past hopes, your Bob Hopes and and Steve Martins, people that uh, uh, were on The Muppet Show and were known, not known for being on The Muppet Show, but would go on because they were very popular at the time. But this song... Jason right Se- to the feels. Jason Siegel calls out society. Yes. In this movie. Or in this well in the movie, yes, but certainly in this song. Specifically in this because song. Because for us, you know, we grew up with them. You know, we're in our early 30s. So, we grew up in a time where they were still putting movies out regularly. They opened Muppet Vision 3D at the MGM Studios. They did Muppet Babies. They were still very, very popular. So the Muppets f- was a primetime show. For us, 
it's like, how could we forget about them? Right. How did society, how did Hollywood forget about the Muppets? And he calls, he calls everybody out on it. While also reminiscing about their glory days. And then at this point, the pictures come to life on the wall and everybody starts singing along with Kermit. And like I said, I, I was a mess. I mean, they went straight for the jugular with this song. Yeah, basically, that's their call to action. And they're saying, we can do this. We can do it one more time. And and the sad thing is, it's not so much that they're calling for a Muppet reboot. They're trying to save the theater. But it all, it almost sounds like they're preparing for their swan song. Right, right. So they take to the road. Um, Gary, Mary, and Walt join Kermit to go round up the rest of the crew. So we start off in Reno where they go for Fozzie. This reminds me of the Muppets 3D and MGM because when they go to find him at the casino that he's working in, you can practically smell the cigarettes and regret coming off of this place. Oh, yeah. Um, you hear gunshots. and Yeah. Fozzie <laughs> is the lead singer of the Muppets, who is a spoof band and features a drummer, which is probably the best cameo in this entire movie, Dave Grohl as Animal. Yeah, that was... You didn't see that one coming, no. but it's so perfect because Dave Grohl just looks like Animal. I feel like Dave Grohl paid Disney to appear in this movie. Oh, yeah. I'm not a, you know, I don't love the Foo Fighters the way every way it seems like everybody else does. Like, I kind of don't get it, but I like Dave Grohl enough as a musician and an entertainer. Like, he's somebody that has a respect for music and, and Hollywood and television and film as it is now, but also realizes where it came from. I also think, I agree, like for those that aren't a fan or don't even really know the Foo Fighters music, I think he's likable and I think that he's enough of a figure in pop culture where uh, it was a fitting cameo. Um, so after not so much convincing at all, uh, they get Fozzie to rejoin the crew. Uh I don't think it's a question of whether or not Fozzie wants to come back to the Muppets. I think it's more of a question of he's afraid of, like you said, is this the swan song? And what if this doesn't work? And then what happens to us? Because he's already in a pretty bad situation. Oh, yeah. He's living in the alley. Right. His dressing room's in the alley and it starts to rain and he's safe the cushions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next on the list is Gonzo who is running Gonzo's Royal Flush selling toilets, used toilets. That's another line. Yeah, I yeah. don't know if you caught it, but it is used toilets. That's our executive line of used toilets. Exactly. Um, so he, Gonzo actually really doesn't give them the time of day. He declines out of the gate. And uh, as they're leaving, Camilla goes up to Gonzo and she's like, I know what you really want. You don't have to pretend anymore. So he whips out his handy dandy business destroying button pushes it and the entire building explodes do you notice that when he goes from being gonzo the executive to gonzo the performer his voice changes absolutely yeah it's it's lower when he's the executive and then he goes to the gonzo the great that we know and love um that's also um worth noting in that scene um is just how well they made this movie i mean the Muppets are Muppets. We're not supposed to call them puppets. However, it's a lot easier to do 
the Muppet movements in indoor scenes where you can kind of hide them behind couches and, and different things. This, they're all outside. And after the explosion, when everybody kind of comes up for air, the framing is just so great in that scene because you see Mary and Gary in the background and all the Muppets in the foreground, but you really you know, you get that perspective that they all are standing on one flat level on the ground. And yeah, it's, it's just really well done. Exactly. Um, so now, again, this movie has the ability to call itself out. They realize that they've taken far too long rounding up only two members of the crew and they decide to pick up the rest of them in a montage, as 80s Robot says. Yeah, they, and they start traveling by map. Exactly. They go and get the rest of the gang everybody from Rolf to Sweetums and last on the list is Miss Piggy. They have to travel by map to get her in Paris. Um, so they go to where she's working and we see Emily Blunt reprising her role as the snobby receptionist from Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. But I love the cameo all the same. Yeah. She's great. Yeah, she's Not really that she's good. the one trick pony, but I do love this trick. So... Piggy doesn't take any, but she's uh, she's a very big deal, as Emily Blunt puts it. And, yes, she uh, was the plus size editor. Yes, of Vogue, I believe Vogue. Yeah, yes, she was with Vogue. And uh, she doesn't have any openings in her calendar, so the Muppets decide to do their stunt Muppet Man, where they all kind of cram into one suit and stand on each other's shoulders and walk like a real person. So, of course, as soon as they get into the office, they all fall over and. The jig is up and Piggy's like, I can't believe I fell for this. Um, but she stands firm. She does not want to go back just yet. And I think that has to do with her and Kermit's history more than anything else. Yeah, there's some drama there. Absolutely. Something gone south. We don't know exactly what yet, but something's gone south. Well, they do allude to it. And that was actually something that I wanted to point out. They, they're they walking around Paris and whatever. And Kermit's still trying to convince her to come back. And she kind of... You know, she goes Miss Piggy on him and Kermit says, you're being so overdramatic and that makes me do things that hurt you. It leaves me no choice. And I was kind of like, that's such an un-Kermit thing to say, like to intentionally hurt someone. I was like, that's that. I just thought that was kind of an odd choice. I don't I, I feel like I, I my interpretation of that was less about it being Kermit doing something uncharacteristic and speaking more to you know, Piggy, you are so over the top and so dramatic about everything that you blow everything up into a bigger deal than it needs to be. And I also think that they wanted to incorporate some sort of, you know, uh, adult-driven drama in this so that it would still cater to the adults and not just kids. Fair enough, I guess. Um, so they leave to go back to L.A. without Piggy, and uh, now they have to go and find a, a network that is going to televise this show so that they can do their telethon. Um, so they end up in the office of Veronica, who is played by Rashida Jones, who I also love. And she basically just point blank says, you guys are no longer relevant. There is even a chart that she pulls out of like, here's everything that's happening in pop culture now and here's you guys way, way on the outside and then proceeds to show them a bunch of really, really stupid shows that the kids are into. And that's, again, it's like you said, this is Siegel calling out society. Yeah, Punch Teacher. Yes. Hosted by Ken Jeong. 
It's true. It's that you will watch garbage reality, but there's no place in your life for Muppets. And she I think also, this whole scene is like it parallels what Siegel must have gone through to get this movie off of the ground. Yeah. Uh, she also has a photo of herself at Disneyland. Did yes, you catch that? I did. Totally did. I think it's her family because you do see the same kids on her desk and then in the shot behind her. Right. Two more cameos in that scene. Ken Jong is the host of Punch Teacher and a very young Donald Glover. This was very early on in his career. I believe he was only on Community at the time, and it was before everybody knew him as Childish Gambino as well. Yeah. Uh, obviously, long before he was Lando Calrissian. Right. Which he was so good at. So this was his first Disney movie. Yeah, I think this was only his second film that he had been in up to this point. Right. But we've done more TV than than film uh, up until the point that this movie came out. We've kind of hit on that though in the past couple of episodes that like when Disney likes you, they'll oh, yeah. keep using you. I mean, Emily Blunt, same thing. Yeah. She went on to Into the Woods and now she's Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think from this movie. You know, so when they uh well, eventually Rashida Jones uh, agrees to air their telethon because that's when Donald Glover comes in. Right. That's his whole purpose is he bursts into the office after much pro- protesting on the part of Rashida Jones that the Muppets are not going to have their show. Donald Glover bursts in the room and says that there was a cancellation. Now they have a two hour slot to fit. It was oh punch my goodness. Teacher. What are they going to do? Punch teacher got canceled yes. because some union had an issue. With that's it. it. Yes. So they had to fill the slot. So she gives them a shot on the guise of you have to find a celebrity host. Right. Um, did you notice, I think it's the next scene where they all go back to the, the old Muppet Theater to clean it up. They have a sign up at the museum next door, a Jim Henson exhibit. It's a banner hanging outside. I didn't catch that. Yep. You know what? I'm always distracted at that point because they start playing audio when they're as they're walking into the theater. They start playing old audio clips. And in this one in particular, they play the clip of the introduction of Bob Hope being on the show, who I want to say was their first host ever, maybe. But I know he did a lot with the Muppets. And um, it was just another nice touch to bring in the history and, and what they meant during their heyday. Absolutely. And uh, basically, they all have to work together to clean this studio up because it's totally broken down and decrepit. And not one of their own songs, but what becomes one of the best songs and one of the best scenes in this movie is all of them working together to clean the theater up while they do it to We Built This City by Starship. This would also be the second point that I cried. We need to explain why, though. I think yeah. that they, only you and I understand why if we don't explain this. Well, aside from the fact that it really just all works, and this is now they realize that they're working, they have to come together and they have to work together to make this happen. Um, we were in the parks the year that this came out. And it was like three weeks before the movie opened. I think it was the Thanksgiving open and we were there in November and we were staying at the all star movie resort and we were in the very, very back of the resort by the second pool. And every morning when we would leave to go to the parks, we would just hit it at exactly the right time. And we built the city on rock and roll was 
playing as we would walk through our resort and get ready to go take the bus. Right. It was almost every day that we heard it. And at that point, they had been running trailers for the movie. And if I remember correctly, that was one of the songs that they used in the trailer. So we already knew it was going to be in the movie. Right. I'm not sure if that's why they were running it at the resort because of the movie. But I mean, by the time we got to got around to seeing the movie, it just reminded me so much of the trip. And I was just so nostalgic. Anybody that's gone to the parks knows what that Disney hangover feels like. Oh, it's the Th- worst. That, ugh, that that's the <laughs> embodiment. If you were going to put a sound on the Disney hangover, <laughs> ugh, is spot on. It's true. It's true. Um, during this sequence, also, uh, Kermit goes about finding the celebrity hosts, and again, another nice touch to show how dated yes. everything is. He's going through not only a Rolodex, which I almost feel the need to explain what it is. Before you plug numbers into your cell phone, you had just everybody's name and contact information on on cards and they were just kind of all tethered to this device that you'd kind of, you know, you'd flip and you'd just run through the cards. I still use one at work every day. Wow. Yeah, I I actually do. (laughs) Um, Well, it's not just the Rolodex being dated, but the names on the Rolodex. I mean, Kermit is reaching out trying to get Molly Ringwald to be the celebrity host and Molly Ringwald has not done anything Since the 80s. Molly Ringwald could walk into this house right now and I wouldn't (laughs) know who she was. I would just be startled that some redhead intruder has entered my home. Um, So they get the studio cleaned up. However, they are not successful yet in getting their their celebrity host. So while all of this has been going on, Amy Marion... Amy, Mary, I knew I was going to do this. I've been (laughs) using the characters and the actors interchangeably, and that's not going to work. Mary, Gary, and Walter have been helping them with everything. And you've kind of forgotten by this point that the whole reason for them being there is because of Mary and Gary's anniversary. So she is understandably getting fed up that Walter and Gary are putting so much time into helping the Muppets. Meanwhile, you know, they've traveled by map around the globe, so you can imagine how much time has passed, and they only have her two-week spring break while she's off from school to do this. So she tells Gary she wants to make sure that they start sightseeing and that their anniversary dinner is the next day and, you know, confirms, like, he's going to be there and he's not going to get roped into all of this again. So Gary tells Mary, hey, why don't you start sightseeing I'm going to help Walter one more day and then I'm going to uh, I'll come, you know, we'll meet up and then we'll celebrate. Um, So it's at this point, Miss Piggy walks back in. Um, I don't think it really took as much convincing as Kermit was trying to get her to want to come back um, because she did say, I can't be replaced. And you know, she has to make her dramatic entrance. Well, she they, knew she was going back. And they tried to replace her with one of the Muppets. Exactly. Um, and that's actually, it. She, of course, Piggy makes a grand entrance. He's talking about burning her clothes and she bursts in the back door and she's like, hold it right there. Um, and then she beats up the Muppet and 
you know, regains her place with the Muppet. But the Muppet does threaten that he will be back. And he does come back. He delivers on that. I think it was a she. I'm not convinced that was a he. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was a bad wig or the voice or it could be a he, it could be a she, it could be dra- I I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> it's kind of ambiguous. But um it's at this point that Piggy's not really happy with the Muppets and Mary is really not happy with Gary. Oh, yeah. Uh so they have their musical number and it's not a duet, it's just two solos cut up against each other and it it works so well it's called me party and for me this is where not that I really had any doubts about Amy Adams as a casting choice but I thought maybe you know they could have gotten like Anne Hathaway Anna Kendrick you gotta get off this Anne Hathaway stuff I do but we know she can sing and she's already been a Disney princess she was in uh she was in um Princess Diaries right um, no, but I was thinking, you know, there are a lot of people that have worked with Disney before, or even Emily Blunt, even though she's in as a cameo, I think that this could have been a good fit for her. But this song is really where Amy Adams thoroughly convinced me that nobody else could have done this. She's sitting alone in Mel's diner and the waitress comes up to her and, you know, everybody's reinforcing that she's by herself. It's, this is after Sarah Silverman has sat her. Yes. Another cameo. And also does take the dig of, oh, is it just a table for one? And then they bring over one menu and Amy Adams is feeling pretty down. So she starts her song and she rips a dinner roll in half and then forks both halves of it and starts making them dance, which we've seen fruit dance in the Muppets a million times. But just the expression on her face, I was like, nobody else could have done this. Yeah, she did a really nice job. And it she seemed was like she was sport. having fun with it, yeah. Yeah. So after they concede to the fact that they're not going to find a celebrity host, Kermit tries to pitch this idea to Veronica that he's a celebrity, and she says, no, absolutely not, you need a real host. And they're like less than 12 hours away from the show actually starting. So they try this last-ditch effort of going to text Richmond and just asking for the studio back. Right. Where you get this really great... I didn't think that I ever in my life had to see... Excuse me. Chris Cooper rap. But that that changed my life forever. It's the musical number you didn't know you needed. You needed in your life. Yeah. It was spectacular. So they find out, you know, obviously he's not going to give them that... uh, that studio back and he whips out the rich and famous contract the standard the rich standard and rich contact. and famous contract and reads it off to them and they tells them that not only does he own the studio but he also owns their names right and that's when you see the Muppets come back and when she said i'll be back they partnered up with tex richmond and in other words tex richmond is going to give the Muppets the muppet name exactly they come back in full force with an alter ego to almost every single Muppet. They yeah. have like a gangster Fozzie with all these gold chains and they look a ragtag, like a ragtag bunch would be putting it nicely. Yeah. They'd be cleaner as a ragtag bunch. So they go out in front of the office and Kermit is sort of admitting defeat, but Piggy won't stand for it. And uh, you get this hysterical scene where they kidnap Jack Black. 
And they kidnapped Jack Black because Jack Black was in an anger management group with Animal, and he was his sponsor. So while Animal is distracting him, you have Gonzo and Lou and Piggy and the Swedish chef uh, basically tie him up, knock him out, and kidnap him. Exactly. So while the Muppets are out handling this, um, Mary and Gary are sort of fighting their own battle. Um, Gary realizes that he's been putting so much time into the Muppets that he is actually missing their anniversary dinner. Um, So he goes to Walter for help. Walter is sewing costumes and trying to get everything ready for the show. And uh, Walter's now mad that Gary's not there with him and that he's trying to patch things up with Mary. Um, And this is where I kind of feel like their relationship would have worked better as a friendship rather than saying that they're brothers because I feel like as brothers, they're going to love each other and they're going to be there for each other and support each other no matter what. I feel like it would have worked better as a friendship because they're growing apart. This is growing pains. You know, Gary is about to propose to his girlfriend of 10 years and Walter, who has always felt out of place, has found his place in the Muppets. And I feel like it's more of a situation where friends are butting heads than the way that it kind of plays out as brothers sort of putting this pressure on each other to to do what they've always done. And, you know, it almost it's like you said, it's such a small town thing. I feel like that kind of just reinforces the small town that they came from is that they're always just going to be there always together. I mean, there's still Gary's had a girlfriend for 10 years and he's still living in his childhood room, which they've not even updated. Everything is still as it was when they were kids. And you know, it's, they're not ready to, to grow up and grow apart yet, which I get. And in that regard, it does work that they're brothers, but I just feel like this would have been so much better if it was, you know, that they were friends and that Gary was the only one who ever really backed Walter up with his love of the Muppets and didn't make him feel like he was such an outsider. And that basically sets up what ends up being, I suppose, the best musical number in the film. So good. Man or Muppet. This song won an Academy Award. Yeah. It won an Oscar for Best Original Song. And it really, really deserved to. Um, I I think we even said that when we left the theater. We're like, this might sound crazy, but this could win an Oscar. Right. I think, I mean, this whole number is so well done, um, but I think it really shows Jason Segel's grasp not just for the Muppets, but for musicals too. Because the song opens and he's asking himself if he's a man or a Muppet. And then he says, if I'm, if I'm a man, I'm a Muppet of a man. And the lyrics are so repetitive. So you do get that like tongue in cheek, Muppety humor in there. But when you think about what he's really saying, you know, it is such a good musical number in the context of a musical where the main character, you know, they they just had an argument. 
there's not really much more that they can say to each other, so now they're going to sing about it. We've talked about this before, is how, you know, when the musical numbers come up, they're just kind of, like, driven to that point. And when he's looking in the mirror and he's looking in the window and he's seeing his reflection, now he sees himself as a Muppet. So, of course, when it it transitions to Gary singing about am I a man or am I a Muppet? He's looking in the mirror, and I remember sitting in the movie theater thinking, I know that there's a cameo coming. Oh, yeah, and you know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be good. But I disagree with what you said earlier. I think this was the best cameo in the film. Certainly the most shocking. When Jim Parsons walks into that mirror as... Gary in human form. Walter in human or, form. Or Walter, excuse me, in human form. It's just sheer perfection. And the third time I cried. And uh, you know what? You weren't the only one crying. I'm sure that the executives at CBS were crying tears of happiness <laughs> that they had a star of How I Met Your Mother and a star from the Big Bang Theory on stage at the same time singing with Muppets. <laughs> In an Academy Award-winning scene. No, I mean, those are our shows. How I Met Your Mother and Big Bang Theory. So to see this all come together, I mean... It was a clashing of worlds. It was. I was, I was overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I really couldn't handle myself anymore at this point. I was, I was like, I'm done. I thought you were going to shatter my kneecap. I just remember you reached over and grabbed me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm crying because I'm in pain. <laughs> No, I I love that number. I really can't say enough good things about it. It it was everything. And it showed that, you know, it it got its payoff. It got its due. Yeah. Absolutely. So now they're getting ready to do their show and they have Jack Black in hair and makeup and they are forcing him against his will to be the celebrity host of the Muppet Telethon. That's one of the funniest things to me is all of his protesting because they do start the show. He has no idea that it's happening. He's just out on stage. And there's no one in the audience except for Hobo Joe, which is another brilliant cameo, is uh, Zach Galifianakis plays a hobo, complete with a bonfire set up in the middle of the theater. And for whatever reason, it's like the car in the classroom in the beginning. It makes zero sense, and yet it still works. Yeah, and why does everybody forget about Hobo Joe? Exactly. <laughs> the I, I will say this. You want to talk about how many times you cried when you saw this movie the first time? I, I never full-on wept, but I think the closest I came was when they started the Muppet Telethon and you had the full Muppet show open. Yes. That you're used to seeing on television. That was the one that almost got me the closest I came was that I think by this point I was out of tears um but what I do love is they did keep the traditional opening um so the music starts and they have all the big guys walk out you know in the archways of that that first tier you have Sweetums and a couple of the other bigger Muppets and they come out and this was one of the things that impressed me most about this whole movie is in the real show open, when you get the next group out on that second tier, they switch the camera angle so that you're not looking at the arches straight on. 
as everybody enters, it's it's done from like a lower angle. But what they do here is they sort of nudge the camera so that it's an even sharper angle and you see more of the backstage area. And to me, what that does is it pulls you in with the Muppets because by this point, the stakes are so high. There's nobody in the audience. There's hardly anybody watching at home. And there's it, there's so much tension and it feels just the slightest adjustment of that camera. It feels like you're right there with them and you're like, this has to work. And you're probably as nervous as they are coming out to this iconic entrance. So circling back to Jack Black, he's been protesting this entire time. And that's what starts engaging the audience at home because he's pleading to the cameras. I didn't sign up for this. I have no idea what's happening. Please help me. And everybody thinks that it's part of the bit. So again, you have that Muppety humor, but now you're starting to relate to today's audience just by him, you know, not jiving with what's going on and what they've dragged him into. Um, That also gets reinforced with our next cameos. You have uh, Selena Gomez, who we know as Selena Gomez, and we have Rico Rodriguez, who we know as Manny on Modern Family. Yes. And they come in and Selena Gomez says, I don't know who you are, but my agent just said I'm supposed to show up. And Rico Rodriguez asks if Kermit is one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And Kermit's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Let me show you what to do. And he puts them at the phones to start taking pledges. And Whoopi Goldberg was there, too, and said, I heard there might be a career opportunity. Yes. There. To me, though, if the Muppets call, you show up. Right. So one of the funniest numbers in not just the Muppet show, but in this whole movie is um, when a couple of the Muppets get Jack Black to do what I like to call a Nirvana shop quartet. And uh, they sing Smells Smells Like Teen Spirit as a barbershop quartet. It was great. It was. And again, Jack Black is protesting and he's like, you're ruining one of the best songs or the greatest song in the world or something and, like and that. Have, you're completely ruining it. And they're using that um, that Muppet humor with Mosquito and me, 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 mo. And yeah, they raise their aprons and uh, they have a word like embroidered on these aprons. But Beaker, yeah, Beaker is one of the barbershop quartets. And uh, yeah, d- they have the me, 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 mo instead of the, instead of the real words. Yeah, it was great. Another song that they cover, they have Camilla and the chickens come out and do CeeLo Green's Forget You. That's one of the only things that kind of took me out a little bit. Like, yeah. I wish they used a more timeless song. I feel like that was so 2012 when this came, 2011, 2012. Um, now, it, that's the only part of the movie that seems dated to me. Right. And it's, it's, yeah, the song hasn't lasted. I mean, I like it. It's a good song. But I feel like they could, I mean, maybe it comes down to just music rights. But I feel and like I there were so many other songs that you could have picked. Yeah, but they might have wanted something that was also connecting with today's audience. True. You know, at least what, what today was when the movie came out, which was 2011. But... You just had Selena Gomez come in. Like, what's what's not connecting? Like, you've given them something, you know? Um, so 
by this time in the Muppet Show, um, they've started getting a lot of donations and Tex Richman realizes that he may actually be in trouble. Um, so he tries to destroy the show by cutting the power. And it's fixed because at this point, Gary has won Mary back and... You know, they tried celebrating their anniversary dinner, but Gary's clearly very distracted because the show's going on. They're watching the show and they think that they may need a little help. So they go back to Los Angeles and uh, they travel by map. They travel by map and Amy Adams fixes the power because she knows how to fix a 12 volt starter. That's another thing, though. Traveling by map that doesn't work. Traveling by map is funny, but here's what doesn't work for me, is that clearly they're in close enough proximity to Los Angeles where they can just decide, all right, we're going to get in a car, we're going to go or get on the bus, and we're going to be there in enough time to go save the show. I just feel like they're making it out to be such this big vacation trip and for the 10-year anniversary, and it's like... You drove a couple of hours. But it, because they came from Nowheresville, Los Angeles seems like a big deal. It just seems like Nowheresville should maybe be farther away from L.A. But you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's, think about it. It's we, a big city. You know, that's, that's the whole idea. We're able to go on the Long Island Railroad and go into Manhattan to have dinner and drinks and come home. But somebody from, say, I don't know, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, to them, that's a big deal. And right. they're there in three or four hours. Right. But right. it's it's like they can't even conceive what that would be like. Right. Um, so now that Amy Adams has fixed the show, uh, Tex Richmond has to try again to thwart this. Um, so what actually stops him is that Uncle Deadly somehow finds Jesus and decides that he wants to help the Muppets because he is, in fact, a Muppet, too. Right, because Tex Richmond now wants to cut the power at the very top of the building, so they're they're sort of on this giant antenna, and it's at that point that Deadly basically throws him off the antenna and defeats him and, and prevents him from accomplishing his goal of cutting the power for a second time. Uncle Deadly gets the last maniacal laugh. Yes. Um... So now the show is saved, and we come to the big one. Kermit sings Rainbow Connection. And I probably should have been bowling at this point, but I had nothing left. Especially because it's not just him, but the rest of them, as they, they, they've come to terms with the fact that this might be the end of the Muppets, they all join hands and walk out onto the stage, and they start singing it with him. Right. Very powerful. Even um, the subplot with animals, anger management, drums is his trigger word. So he finally picks up his sticks and puts his own issues aside to play the drums in this song. Yeah, it was uh, I was I was happy that they used this song. I was happy to see it come back. Oh, you have to. So they're despite all of Tex Richmond's efforts, they're almost at their goal of 10 million dollars and they have one last act. And now that Walt has sort of joined the ranks of the Muppets, they want him to do it. Um, so he's had stage fright the entire time. He doesn't know what he's going to do as his special talent. And just when Kermit thinks that all hope is lost, Walt shows up and he whistles. And that's his special talent. And he does the last number of the show. Um 
this is another thing that I take issue with. Um, I kind of feel like it was, it, it, it kind of fell a little flat with the whistling. I mean, I don't know what else they would have made him do because they just had a big musical number. And you hear him whistle throughout the movie. Right. The only thing that I can think of, and this is this would be interesting to look up, and, and maybe we'll put that out to you listeners. I'm wondering if Jason Siegel was paying tribute to Walt Disney. Like, I'm wondering if that was one of his traits, like if he whistled a lot. That would be the only thing that I could think of why it would be so important to have this be his special talent. But there was a little bit of a disconnect for me with it. Of all the talents you could have given him, that that one doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It It is sort of a weak way to end it and you build up to him whistling. But if that's the worst thing that I've seen in this movie, and that's my that's my only real negative in terms of takeaways, I, I mean, certainly I can live with it. I've seen the movie a hundred times. Yeah, oh no, it, it works. It totally works. But I just wish maybe there was a nod to either tie it back to the Muppets or tie it back to Walt Disney. I mean, it's a small complaint though, because like you said, otherwise the movie's wonderful. And Jason Siegel did such a wonderful job of paying tribute to so many things. It's, it, I, I'm being a little harsh. Admittedly, this is a harsh criticism. Um, so Tex Richman crashes one last time and somehow their tally goes from ten, Almost ten million dollars, just shy of it. They were a dollar short. They were a dollar short. Um, they flip the board, and it's revealed that they only ever had ten thousand dollars, not ten million. No, um, it was ninety nine thousand. Right, they had almost a hundred. They had almost a hundred thousand, but and they were nowhere near exactly. getting ten million. The point is, yeah, they were nowhere near it. Again, that that muppety humor, and they all feel completely defeated. So. Technically, now that they didn't reach their goal by midnight, it's technically the next day and Tex Richmond owns this property. So he kicks them all out and they all are walking out of the theater with their heads hanging and they just feel so defeated. And it's exactly what they feared of what's next and what's our future. And uh, Kermit gives one last rally for them and says that we should be proud and we did this together and they walk out of the theater and all of the Muppets fans have come out to support them outside of the theater. And there is just crowds and crowds of people stretched down the block. And they realize that their fans have really never stopped supporting them. And that there is still a place in this world for the Muppets. Yeah, and you see signs that say, welcome back, and we're so happy to have you back, and we missed you. And it very much came off that... Everything that Jason Siegel felt, and I think everything that all of us felt who grew up with them and who missed them, that was that was everything that we were thinking put out on the screen just as quickly as you could get it up there. Exactly. And they sort of condensed everybody's feelings. Right, right. Um, so they do one last musical number. Um, I almost wish, though, that they had bought the finale back to Small Town USA and done the number there and kind of showed that, uh, you know, now that the Muppets are back, this kind of exists everywhere. 
Well, now we we do need to say that um, the reason why they end up continuing as the Muppets is because Gonzo earlier was doing a head bowling act with uh, Jack Black and the bowling ball got stuck on his hand and his arm was in this constant swing because he couldn't get the bowling ball off and he did it for the rest of the movie. Right. Finally, the bowling ball comes dislodged and he throws it into Tex Richmond. Yes. And Tex Richmond gets hit with the bowling ball and for the first time in years, he's able to laugh, which I love. I love that he, up until this point, he can't actually laugh and that he just says, he just says, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. Yeah. I, I felt that it was just... It was just perfect. Yeah. Because it made him so corporate and so manufactured and just like a part of the big wheel, you know? It's a great foil. Yes. And it it just shows, yeah, like the Muppets truly, truly won. So he, he allows them to not only be the Muppets again, but keep their studio. And their name. And their name. Um, But yeah, they do, they do that big last musical number and... And yeah, I almost, I almost wish that now because the Muppets are in- integrated back into the world that they had kind of taken it back to small town because ultimately that's where, you know, the relationship between Gary and Walter has come to a head. You know that Walter is going to stay with the Muppets. He's one of them now. And Gary does propose to Mary. So he's going to go back to small town with her. So after this, this musical number he gets down one knee and he proposes and Mary's response is Menomina. It's the perfect ending. Oh, well, well they had, they had just come out of life's a happy song. They came back around to do that as the final musical number, which was a nice touch. It was a nice touch. And just when you think there aren't any more touches that Jason Siegel can do, there is a fireworks display and you get the hidden, hidden Mickey. Mickey. He did everything. He, paid the perfect tribute to them. He brought them back. He gave them great songs. I'm from a fan perspective, he hit on everything that you could ever want. Make no mistake about it. It it really is my opinion that this is Jason Siegel's best movie. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. He took so much time with it and really took care of it. Mm-hmm. Now Frank Oz was very critical of that script. Right. Very critical of it did not support it. In fact, a lot of those veteran Muppet um, performers who were not in this movie, and I think that's part of it too, um, very critical of of this until they saw the finished product. Right. And even, you know, just to show the care that he had for this movie, even just to get Amy Adams, he did a video with Kermit to ask her to be in it. I don't know if he had any, like, backup choices for casting, um, but I, I, I'm pretty sure he just wanted her and pursued her and, you know, it, it shows why, cause she was just so perfect for it. But, um, I'll post that video up on social media so you can see him practically beg her to be in this movie. In all, this movie is nearly perfect. Um, it certainly does hold up with the rest of the Muppet movies, not just in style of filmmaking, um, but in execution of the jokes and and the uh, the the innocence of it, and I don't I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's it's hard to explain a Muppet movie because in in a way, and it's not meant to insult them. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. 
it just had that Muppet feel. But seeing as this was not Jim Henson that made this, it had such a Henson feel to it. That's what was amazing about this. And that's what that's where you pay all of the credit in the world to Nick Stoller and to Jason Siegel. Exactly. Like I mean, I, I cried three times. It's it's like you said, it's it wasn't just a well done movie. It's a feeling. It was a nostalgia and it just it it captured the feeling that you got of watching it when you were a child. It's a movie that it has rewatchability because I have rewatched this and so have you so many times. And um, we loved the TV show too. Short-lived, unfortunately, but I thought that that was a nice carryover too. No, and it's like I said, I've I've always been a Muppets fan. Um, after this movie came out, they did a Jim Henson exhibit just to show, you know, how how much the Muppets did get their revival. Uh, they had a traveling Jim Henson exhibit that ended up at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens. Yes. And they had all the Muppets on display. And same thing, I you know, you get up to the top floor. I remember stepping off the escalator yep. and there's Kermit sitting on the log and I cried all over again. Yep. That was the first thing that you saw was Kermit sitting on the log with the banjo. We weren't supposed to take pictures, but I might have. And I might be posting them all over our social media this week if you're interested. Yes, so make sure you're checking out the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, everything that we're on. There's a good chance you're going to see some some photographs. Hopefully I won't get in trouble, but everybody deserves to see them. So news for this week, um, we're starting to see some more structures go up, not only on the West Coast, but also on the East Coast of the new Star Wars expansions, the Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Well, it's... Not an official picture, but pictures were leaked in Disneyland of Star Wars. Uh, I'm not going to out them, but you can find them pretty easily on Twitter. Yeah, I I get so excited. So excited. Because I think that that's going to be that fully immersive experience. You're going to feel like you're in the movie. Obviously is what they're going for. But if you've gone to Disney's Animal Kingdom Park, and if you've gone to Pandora, if you've gone on the Navi River uh, ride. If you've gone on uh, Flight of Passage, you want to talk about being fully immersed in something. There's no doubt in my mind you're going to feel like you're in a Star Wars movie on both coasts, and I cannot wait to experience it. Absolutely. Um, so that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've we've covered an you know animation. We've covered live action. We've covered a mix of both. And now we've covered the Muppets. So we feel that it's appropriate for us now to go all the way back to the beginning and watch the one that started them all. So next week, we're doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies. The stuff dreams are made of.